0: Hi everybody. Hello. Hi Catherine.
1: Hi. How
0: are you? Hi. It's the holiday season. It's upon us. It's in it. We're in it. It's in us.
1: Yes, it is. I'm actually recording today from my niece's room. So it's
0: very decorated with butterflies. Oh, well, why don't I see any?
1: <laughs> oh,
0: there's, there's some. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's. <laughs> you seems like you were exaggerating there for a minute. Doesn't seem that decorated with butterflies. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, like fluffy things. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what nieces are for, right? Uh You will never catch me recording this podcast out of my niece's bedroom. So uh, (laughs) I would like to say thank you in advance for that happening. OK, so today's guests, we have a, a couple that is coming. This is a couple who are non-binary and polyamorous, and they speak a lot about the relationship. So I thought it would be a great opportunity for us all to get a little bit more educated. Today's guests are Nico Tortorella and Bethany C. Myers. Nico is an actor that you may recognize from The Walking Dead, World Beyond, Younger, and an upcoming indie drama called The Medachine Family. And Bethany is the founder and CEO of the Become Project. You can follow her on Instagram at the B.COME Project, which is a body neutral movement and fitness program. So those are our guests today, and I am very, very honored to introduce them. Hello, Bethany and Nico. Thank you, guys, for coming down to this podcast in New York City, no less. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Oh, I'm excited to have you. I've seen a couple of things that you guys have spoken about, and and I'm so excited to talk to you about your relationship and your careers. And in this time, I know that you must get sick. And tired of having to explain Mm. your relationship to people who don't know. But, uh, of course, it is so beneficial for our listeners to have a better understanding of what polyamory means, of what not identifying with a certain gender means, you know. So I know that you probably feel like an educative onus on your back. But, I mean, it's it's great that you're willing to talk about it and kind of let people understand, have a better understanding of what that means. So let's talk first of all, I know you just changed your pronouns, right? You identify as they, them, and you recently changed it to her, right? Mm-hmm. She, they, she. They, she, okay, sorry, they, she. And why did you change that?
2: Yeah, so originally I'd always use she, her pronouns, uh-huh. you know, hadn't really known anything else. Then like several years ago, I started using they, them pronouns. Really liked the way that it felt. And I've, I feel like this switch to they, she, is for many different reasons. I think in part, I was kind of tired of educating people. And I think in my work that I do, I really like to allow people a space to be able to have conversation and have nuanced conversation and get things wrong without feeling really bad about it. And it started to feel like, you know, maybe somebody would use a she, her pronoun and then they would, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then I think also for me, that felt really right. And I think like for both Nico and I, our relationship with gender is so fluid. Mm -hmm. And in being fluid, it changes, right? And so it kind of shifted for me. And I'm sure we'll talk more about this later, but we've been trying to start a family. I've been trying to get pregnant. It has been a fucking annoying year. There's so much that I learned that I feel like I should have already known. We've been having a hard time. And there's something that is like really connecting me very specifically to the biology of my body right and like uterus and like there's a piece of kind of maybe I don't know if it's getting more in touch with that or, or Connecting with that side that has allowed she her pronouns to also feel good along with they them pronouns mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, we're definitely a house of all pronouns are welcome at this point point. I think language fails us across the board, you know?
0: Well, I think people are drawn to it. You were saying you were drawn to the pronouns without using he or she to sexual identification, right? As a man or a woman born with those genes, right? You you were drawn to saying they or them for what reason?
2: Well, I think like they, them pronouns allowed me to feel like I was working outside of a box. And I actually feel this way a lot about really gendering things. So like going outside of the queer conversation, I think that the emphasis that society places on gender really puts people into a very specific box. So like when you look at kids, like young girls, if they're girls, they need to like these things. They need to be a certain way. They can't be assertive. They can't be bossy, right? young boys if they're a boy then they can't be sensitive they can't cry they can't wear pink great right? and we like box people into these gender stereotypes And personally, I think that if we had
0: less focus on gender, I just think everything would be a little bit better in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Well, it would certainly be better for a lot of women. You know what I mean? The reasoning behind a lot of that for women is to not be identified as a woman in the workplace because of the negative connotations that has and the ostracization that that can come with, you know, and they not getting hired for a job. So it it, it totally makes sense, uh, you know, if you're following that line of thinking to not have have the disadvantage mm. of being a woman which in so many instances more so than not is a disadvantage right
2: yes and I would also say that for men I think it can be really beneficial as well in the sense of like you know if you want to boil it down to like toxic masculinity down, right? right or I, I think that that kind of helps strip it down and to be like no you can be sensitive and you can be sweet and you can cry when you scrape your knee and that's okay you know so I think for me, like they them pronouns felt like it opened up a lot of doors to be able to dress in the way that I wanted or grow out body hair if I wanted to grow out body hair. It just
3: kind of levels the playing field, right? right. It's all encompassing. The reason we decided to start using they them pronouns wasn't even limited to just our gender. It's kind of this idea of all of it in the universe is is you. And and if if I can encompass all of that and in just with One word, they, them, a pronoun, Mm. but we're not ready to have that conversation on a global level. Like we're still having the black and white conversation, the gender conversation. Like, I feel like we have a ways to go to really start understanding internalized identity.
0: Yeah. Internalized identity and the idea of togetherness and of humanity and that we're all here together because that is the overarching idea, I think, behind a lot of it. Also, this inception of this conversation has just begun, really, and it has a long runway. But I think the idea of reminding people instead of, you know, why are we identifying saying that that person, they're black, they're white, that's a girl, that's a boy, right? When you think about it in the grander scheme of things, not as a personal affront to a person right. you know or a way of separating people and you think oh you want to remind yourself about humanity togetherness this is all of us we're mm-hmm. all together instead of the zero-sum game that we've come to understand this country especially right now is very much a zero-sum Polar. game first of all how did you guys get together how did you meet
3: <laughs> 15 years ago playing beer pong in college. in college oh really yeah. what college we went to columbia college in chicago uh-huh it was like two days after i moved out of my parents house we met
2: yeah and i i had just left missouri so i'm a couple years older than nico so i was a junior going in and nico was a freshman and we met playing beer pong mm-hmm. nico was very enthralled with me i was kind of like eh, whatever but we lived in our, our dorm we lived like five floors away from one another And it was like a very magical start, very much lightning bolt. Like I was so enthralled with like who this human was. I was raised super conservative, super religious, very little small town, like always wanted to get out, but had never seen any of the world, like had never been to a big city, right? Chicago was like the biggest city I'd ever seen. Now I go back to Chicago and I'm like, oh, this is cute, you know? (laughs) And Nico was like this force that came in and just challenged so many of my ideas and my thoughts. And
3: I had never really met someone that grew up as religiously as Bethany had. One of the first conversations that we had was around evolution and creationism. And day one, Bethany looked at me and was like, you believe in evolution like that was like the craziest thing in the world that I could possibly believe in and it 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 wasn't this immediate challenge but it was just like oh wow there's like so much that we can learn from each other Uh, let's just like jump in
0: yeah that's sweet and who made the first move well, I did.
3: <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh-huh. Because. You had a boyfriend, too. Right. You were like. Prim- wow.
0: It looks like you were leaving Missouri. Like, in a yeah. <laughs> in a flash. You're, you're like, fuck that anymore. shit. Yep. Yeah.
2: That's exactly what happened. I like had a boyfriend and had like a couple weeks and I was like, what am I doing? Called my boyfriend one night. was like, we got to break up. Went to a party, got drunk, came back and was like pounding on Nico's door. I, I was
3: convinced there was a homeless person <laughs> at my front door at four o'clock in the morning. Just like <laughs> Banging trying on to the get door. In. And it was just Bethany. <laughs>
2: yeah. And then we had sex and then yeah. our relationship oh, that's, that's was right.
0: say anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And then our relationship really it's it's interesting. I think like our relationship in a weird way has kind of always been poly and it's always been unique. Like there was never really a time where we were strictly like and we're boyfriend, boyfriend and girlfriend, girlfriend yeah. you know. We had a time when we were just like sleeping together in Chicago and then we kind of started moving to different cities and Nico would go away for work. And we were when we were in the same city, we would live together and we never like had a breakup conversation, but we left each other many times. Spent
3: plenty of time with other people Mm -hmm. while still staying connected. And then just like our paths kept finding each other and crossing and ultimately we decided to get married.
2: But before we got married, we weren't really even dating. We you weren't know? living together. We weren't living together. We were oh, really? dating. Oh, We got
3: married. No, we yeah. were living. In t- we I actually, was in Brooklyn. You were in the city.
2: We actually went to the jungle and uh, did ayahuasca. I was just going to say,
0: and that sentence goes, uh-huh. we, we went to the ayahuasca. jungle and it's followed by, and did oh, ayahuasca. Which, actually,
2: every time I tell someone I did ayahuasca, they're like, watch the chelsea handler like i mean it is like it is like one like you are now synonymous with that conversation (laughs) um
0: another notch on my bed
2: (laughs) so we went to the jungle and did ayahuasca and in our journey there was like very much this like you two have been rooted together for lifetimes you are supposed to start a family Mm. some crazy shit went down in our our first journey we walked out of the jungle and looked at each other and we were like okay so we're getting married Mm. Yeah, and and we were married three months
3: later. I had gone to the jungle the year prior. Right when Trump got elected, I decided, like, that day, got on my phone, booked a retreat, went for a week and a half, knew that I wanted to bring Bethany the following year. We went. In one of our journeys, I kind of saw us both as these two massive trees, separate trees, roots connected, underground. And there would be all of these animals and bugs and creatures that would come and spend time on these trees and they could, you know, live there for extended periods of time, leave. But at at our base, at our foundation, we were always together. And uh, that's kind of been the symbol for our relationship ever since.
0: Yeah, trees are a beautiful symbol of anything, right? On the subject of polyamory, because that's something else I would like to set the record straight with for my audience (laughs) to understand what that means, because people are very judgy about that subject matter, as Mm. you well know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So take us through that. Talk to us about what it means to you and what it means to you guys individually and as a couple.
3: Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I think we're still figuring it out, you know? Uh, yeah. I think it's important to note that we don't claim expertise in any of these fields, right? We're curious folk. Who Just are... like
0: I'm not a doctor, you guys.
3: <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Every, not yet.
2: Everyone <laughs> out there always wants you to be the expert, you know? It's like whatever you're talking about. <laughs> yeah.
3: But no. Yeah, that's
2: not something we like to claim. And also, I think it's important to note that, like, polyamory or open relationships, non monogamy, like, exists different for it's all different, different, for different people.
0: Everyone,
3: yeah. But we date other people, you know, Uh, I mean, we've been married for four years. We've been dating other people for 15 years. We have emotional space. It's beyond the physical. We're not just out here, just like sleeping with people on a regular basis. We both hold space for real relationships with other people. And it's something that we know that we will always do for the rest of our lives. Even if it's not in action, our polyamory is more of like a state of, of mind rather than a state of being. Mm -hmm. that makes sense. We just have a lot of love and we want to share it.
0: How does this delineate itself or is there a delineation between an open relationship and a polyamorous relationship in your opinion? I think a lot of
2: people would say yes. I think most people think of open relationships as just sex and polyamory as like actual relationships. I personally just like the word open relationship more. Like we don't really subscribe to that, but I would say that's how most people would perceive those two yeah pieces
0: yeah and did you guys or do you guys have you had to lay ground rules or is, and yeah. can you talk to us about that a little bit
3: yeah. I mean, there were a set of rules when we first got married. I mean, even just living in two separate households, like deciding we were going to get married. Well, first, I think it's important to note that like we were both dating other people when we decided to get married and every relationship that, that we had had outside of this primary, it wasn't even our primary relationship when I mean, we were best friends, right? Every relationship that we had had, like, there was always something getting in the way. No one really understood what we meant to each other. Like, at the end of the day, Bethany was always my emergency contact on any piece of paperwork, even if I was in a serious multi-year relationship with somebody else. And, like, that's really hard. Like, I get it. That's not an easy thing for someone to wrap their head around. So we kind of decided to get married as as not the only reason, but we thought it would make it easier dating other people as putting this this like <laughs> title on this is primary relationship and this is the space that we have for other people in our lives mm-hmm. there were a set of ground rules but i think they change you know over this this last year as we've been trying to to make a baby you know yeah. it's like the priorities have shifted and where we are right this second all of our energy is being focused on trying to create life at a time when life seems the most fragile you know? So the rules are flex for us right now. And it's just like based in honesty and communication. And
0: also when you have a child, they will still be in flex. I mean, you're going to have to figure out how you want to go about that, right? Totally. How you, yeah. I want to understand, I think it takes a very special individual to have enough bandwidth mm-hmm. to not only admit this, like that they're interested in, in pursuing a relationship with, with these kinds of understandings, but also to be okay with the other person, right? You know, there are so many jealousy issues between couples and insecurity issues. So what do you attribute your self-assuredness to even come to a point like this, you know, where you can be confident in your relationship and your trust with each other while also exploring other relationships that you both desire? I mean, I think jealousy,
2: jealousy is certainly something that I struggle with, I also have like, you know, I mean, if we're going to go like therapy terms, I have some abandonment issues in my past. I had a dad that died young. Usually people that have abandonment issues, jealousy is like kind of Mm -hmm. high for them, right? It's hard. So that's definitely something that takes working through. I think that polyamory for Nico and I really saved our relationship in a lot of ways. And previously we would just kind of, you know, over this course of 15 years and the course of us drinking, partying, like, to, you know, growing up in our twenty, like all the stuff that happens in our Discovering that we were
3: queer, like simultaneously right. at the same time, like growing up together, right? There was a lot of figuring shit out.
2: And we did a lot of just cheating on each other. Yeah. You know, we would like cheat on each other. We would end up telling the other person or the other person would find out. We realized, eh, I don't really care that much. Okay, you cheated on me. Yeah, you know what? I actually cheated on you a couple weekends ago. Huh? Okay, are we going to move forward? All right, sure. Like, let's get over this. Let's move on.
3: Yeah. We and were, so, like, supposed to feel angry about it, right? right? But neither one of us ever really Well, the was. term
0: cheating is just so, right? Like, that's one word we have for what you're doing in this society. Right. I would argue, like you say, we don't have enough language, right? I argue we have too much language. Mm. But it's, it depends what language you're talking about. Right. In English, you know, we have 85 words for so many things in When you cheat, there's one word for it, you know, or being unfaithful. I suppose is another, or an affair. But it's a limited vocabulary, and right, right. and so terms like polyamory are are opening up the dialogue to understand, to have a better understanding. But there's not more than one word for that, Mm -hmm. you know. So sometimes your point is true. Like there are limited words to describe something because there is a black and white definition of things. Mm -hmm. Whereas what we're all learning, or people who are really interested in deep diving are learning, and people who are spiritual are learning that it's it's all a bunch of gray nobody's right. right nobody's wrong it's what your desires are your honesty level you know mm-hmm. like the communication has got to be the most integral part of your relationship totally. right and it's and that's- not
3: fixed right it's like allowed to bend and shift and a line that we've always kind of used like it's it's hard to break something that bends you know and we've always just We've, we're have benders. Well, I,
2: you know, I think in this time where we were, you know, cheating or kind of hurting each other, polyamory, like this idea was like, it saved us. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it really made it, it made it more ethical. Uh, it opened up communication and opened up a space to talk about what we really wanted, what we needed. Mm-hmm. So I think being able to define our relationship with this and our marriage really took us to a different place in a really healthy and positive way.
3: Yeah. I mean, I just think our vocabulary and understanding of the world was very limited, right? When we first started dating each other. And the more we learned about ourselves and our queerness, we gained just more language for who we are and were in the world. And I think over the last couple of years, as the world has kind of like, Falling apart and getting put back together, like even that language is, is continuing to change. And we're just like trying to stay with the times on a public level and also like on a private level.
0: Mm -hmm. And do you feel, do both of you feel since you are public and out about this and since it's a subject matter that is still considered taboo to an extent, do you feel the burden of having to kind of be out there and like front and center talking about it? Do you feel a response, a sense of responsibility? I do. And I hate it. I mean, I
2: am constantly battling how public versus how private do I want to be with mm. my life? I think that you have an easier time with it. But for me, like I'm a people pleaser. I don't love negative, you know, negative critiques like that's something I definitely have to work on. And, you know, people have a lot to say as we've been trying to start a family and I have been somewhat vocal about that. You know, you get comments from people that are like, you two shouldn't have a family, you you know, and it shouldn't hurt, but it does. And so I think that I'm constantly battling where do I straddle this line and like, how much do I want to talk about it? How much do I want to go mm-hmm. into it? And how much do we just want to keep to ourselves? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, a. I think a lot of people struggle with that regardless. Right. right. So if you add something else to the mix, another conversation starter and, you know, thought provoking term and way of life it, and then it adds you know that adds another tenfold to the mix of how private or social anyone in the mm-hmm. public eye is
3: for sure i mean i feel like as it's we
0: like, sit on this podcast yeah, which as probably. we you discuss this time. for yeah. our 1.5 million <laughs> listeners
2: i don't know but, guys i think i just want to keep it private so <laughs> but
0: public, this is a good time to come out as a private couple <laughs> yes.
3: but it's so much part of your job how you speak to yourself i mean that's like Kind of what you do in right. the world.
2: Yes, absolutely. So I have a, a workout, the Become Project, all centered around body neutrality, movement to feel good. And a lot of it is how we talk about ourselves, how we talk about our body, um, and how we get to a more neutral ground within ourselves. And I think that's something as both of us being extremists, right, having this pendulum that swings from one end all the way to the other and has to go big, it's with like with everything. With everything, how do we get that to kind of? It's always going to move, but how do we get that pendulum to sort of sit a little bit more in the middle and and be able to feel neutral about some things? And empathy for yes.
3: you know for the whole spectrum, no matter which one we're speaking to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Instead of judging other people that are doing something differently than you to empathize and have compassion, that that's another human being that's making different choices. And the judgment factor comes in so hot and heavy for so many people, myself included for so long, you know, so judgy. And it's like, you're sitting there and you hate people who are judgy. And then you the reason you hate that so much is because you're practicing it yourself. But anyway, this is a perfect opportunity. We have a lot of people that call in about this subject matter. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take some callers and we're going to give them some feedback about their own situations and answer some questions for some people. Right, Catherine?
3: We love a question.
0: We
1: (laughs) sure will. And we're going to take a quick
0: break, but we'll be back with callers.
1: So, our first email comes from Ryan. This dovetails perfectly with what you guys were talking about with an open relationship. Ryan says Dear Chelsea, my husband and I are two gay men in our 30s, together almost 10 years, and we have newly opened our relationship quick background. This has been a stated goal of his for years, but I was hesitant. There was a history of infidelity on his part that we moved past with counseling. Now we're in a good place and we made the decision to allow each other sex with other people. I'm overall happy about this, but I'm struggling with the specifics since it's still new. We have set rules and boundaries, but I'm still deciding what would be a deal breaker." My question is, how do I know if he'll respect my wishes or if it's the boundary-stepping aspect that he really likes, if the latter, the rules we set can always be broken? Second, how do I handle hypocritical thoughts? I can do something I don't want him to do. And third, we have a couple's therapist we still see, but she's not as up-to-date on non-monogamous relationship structures. Should we switch? Sincerely, Ryan.
0: Well, I'll jump in first just to say, yes, you should switch therapists. You need somebody who is familiar with this conversation topic Mm -hmm. and not somebody who's getting to know this. So many people are so far behind this that you need somebody, you need that tool. Like you're already seeing somebody, put it towards somebody who is well versed in the subject matter. And that can only help you to accomplish, you know, a state of being that you're both really comfortable in. Why don't you guys jump in with what you think off the top of your heads?
3: Well, I was just going to say this idea of what is a deal breaker, right? Like, I think that's kind of a scary way to think about it. Like, mm-hmm. if you draw such a hard line in the sand and like, he's going to cross that line, it's game over, right? You're just putting your both of yourselves in a box and setting yourself up for failure. So I wouldn't think about it necessarily like that. I would just try to be as honest and open with each other about your desires and keep everything on the table. Like, if you're going into this, it takes work. This is not something that you can just do willy-nilly and, like, hope it works, right? Like, this is commitment, right? And, like, you will get closer because of it. You have to be.
2: I agree with everything that you said. And also, when you were speaking about, I can do something, but he right. can't do something, right? And I think it's important to note, like, you all don't have to experience it the same. You don't have to have, like, maybe there there are things that I can do that Nico doesn't care, but... I care if Nico does them, you know, and we're really honest about that. And I think that that's okay. Like, it doesn't have to be even because you're both individuals. Mm -hmm. So what works for each of you may be different and that's okay. And that should also be respected.
3: You have to make different sacrifices for each other, right? Because we're different people.
0: Right. And you also want to set yourself up for success. So before you go into this, you want to create all of those boundaries that are acceptable for both of you so that you can find an area where you both agree and how you're going to operate. Because if you're saying, oh, if he does whatever the unthinkable, so to speak, there's no turning back. Like Nico was saying, like, you have to set this up so that you're both going to come back together no matter what. So nobody ever is going to do the unthinkable or the unspeakable. And I think as you start to have these conversations, you understand, you know, sometimes what we think is unthinkable unacceptable is our idea of that it's not the actual reality of that yeah and you may not even you know want to participate or he may not even want to participate in the way that you're so worried about you know with another partner or but you laying it all on the table is only going to help your communication it's only going to bring you closer together it's only going to create more intimacy so it's a huge growth opportunity again it's a huge opportunity to learn about respecting your partner and about respecting yourself right right yes yeah.
2: And I think like, you know, going off of that, the idea of really staying in the present, like you can write things down on paper, you can have ideas of what it should be, but the other partner that your partner is engaging with, I think oftentimes can change the way it feels. And it's so situational, you know, there's Ryan, you mentioned that there was like some infidelity in the past. So there are probably very certain things that can really trigger you and like set you off because that's, you know, that trauma is being touched on, but Letting it happen in the present and like assessing each situation and determining how it makes you feel and talking about it, I think, can be helpful than sort of getting stuck on on these hard, fast rules.
0: Yeah. And the past. And that's, you know, getting stuck on the past is also you're not operating in the best interest of yourself because what was infidelity before may not under these parameters register as infidelity. So you're opening your you're broadening your horizons. You're becoming more open minded about this relationship. And with that, your partner will likely do the same. So I hope that helps. I think we answered a couple of his questions with uh, some advice yeah. from all of us, yeah, right? Good luck, Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. And Ryan, follow up with us. Let us know what happens, what transpires, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And good luck. Yeah. Um, what was the book that you referenced, question? Catherine, when we had
1: that call? Oh, sure. The Ethical Slut was one that I recommended. Kind of just tells you how to have those conversations and adjust expectations. And the other thing is, like, it sounds like he's not going to be in the room while these... Acts transpire So I think it's Really a trust builder To be venturing into this
3: And have some threesomes
0: And some trust falls Yeah right? That's what I was thinking Have yeah. a trust fall uh-huh. You guys Have a trust fall And then follow it up With a threesome Yeah, yeah Not at perfect. the same time This kind of looks well, This camera looks like We're having a threesome Where I got kicked To the end of the bed Do you see Like I'm just over here Just out You want to scooch A little bit This studio is at One hot fucking mess So I'm, we're doing The best that we can I
1: know Uh, Well, our next question comes from a very sweet caller with my new favorite name. His name is Brayden Cantaloupe. Oh, um, he's from Canada. I know like how charming is that? And he's a sweetie. You'll see. He's 21. He is in Canada and he just graduated. He wants to be working in fashion, fashion business. So he says, dear Chelsea, I'm 21 years old from Canada and I'm currently feeling very unfulfilled in life. I grew up in a small city in BC's interior. I decided after graduating high school, I'd move to Vancouver for post-secondary. I have since graduated school and moved back to my hometown. The move back was because I decided Vancouver wasn't a perfect fit for me. However, there's nowhere in Canada that I feel is. After a trip to the UK a month ago, I decided London would be a perfect match for both my personality and my career. However, I'm having a hard time deciding whether a move that big is really worth it and if it would truly make me happy. On top of this, I feel as though I would miss my family and friends incredibly, Brayden.
0: Oh well, Brayden, I'm just going to go out and say go for it. Oh, Brayden, you're there. Brayden's oh, here. Good, even better.
4: Hi, Brayden's I'm hi- here. I'm Brayden
0: oh, look at you. I didn't know Cantelope was a real last name.
4: Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. I think they, like as far as I know, I'm pretty sure our family is the only one with it that I know of. Anyways. <laughs> So I don't know, maybe someone's going to hear this podcast and be like, hey, I have that too. But as, of, as far as I know, I think we're the only ones. You need know. to
3: find a honeydew for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you think you can do that before the end of this call?
4: I have no idea. I, I'll try my best.
0: Well, Brayden, I would say that it is always a, I'm going to always just say to take a leap of faith and get the hell out of a small town and open your eyes. And, you know, it doesn't have to be the UK, but like if you had a good feeling about that, there's no reason it shouldn't be. I'm of the belief that you should always be expanding your horizons. And, you know, you may not feel like your world is narrow, but once you get outside of it, you're going to realize how much there is to see. And it doesn't mean that you won't eventually go back there one day but you should use your youth and this time to explore and understand the way the world is and how many different sorts of people are out there for you to get to know.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, absolutely.
0: I have some situationally, I grew up in a really small
2: town. I always wanted to go to a big city. When I was 20, I started moving. I moved to Chicago. I moved to Los Angeles and I moved to Dallas and I finally landed in New York. And when I was you know, younger and, and moving and at a similar age to you, all of my family, like everyone would look at me like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, you're not you got to you got to get in one place. You have to get your job figured out. You have to settle. And mm-hmm. the best thing that I ever did for myself in my early 20s was like, go explore, find different cities, find the one that connects with me. And now I have great connections in all of those places that is hand down furthered my career. So and, I am super on board with you moving.
3: And home never went anywhere, you know? Like yeah. you can always go yeah. home. Yeah. Your friends will Yeah. Yeah. no for sure.
4: There. I guess that's how I felt when I moved to Vancouver. So originally i was there, right? And then um it was a great experience, but I felt like it was really like as far as Canada goes, like the not a lot goes on in Canada. It's so, like as far as like for us, vancouver is like, "Oh my god, like it's such a big city," but it's like if you look at the world stage, it's like not at all so like I was there and I felt it was very I didn't feel like there's like huge room for progress or at least to like to leave some bounds that I always like think to myself oh I want to get there like it's definitely not just London that I would be like i would totally down to live in it's more so just I've always had that connection and been like oh I think I would really like it there and then obviously I was just there in October I went for a trip to see some family over there and then I was like, you know what? Yeah, I should just move here. But then since being back now, I'm like, oh my God, I don't know. Do I really want to leave everyone? But that's I know? fear. Yeah. You just
0: said, gave another great reason to try it out in the UK because you have family there. Like that's mm-hmm. a great like kind of insurance policy, you know, to move somewhere. Yeah. You already have a connection with that place. You are never going to look back at this time in your life after making a leap of faith like that and be like, I wish I hadn't done that. You're never anyone yeah. who stays. If you came back and you're like, oh, I'm scared. You know, my family's here. That's all fear. That's all All your like ego going, No no no, you have something good here, this is steady, you will regret this because you're talking about Mm -hmm. making taking a leap that if you don't do it, you're always gonna look back at this time and go, God, I wish I did something. I wish I had tried London. I mean London's a fucking awesome town. Who's gonna move there and have a bad time?
2: (laughs) You know? For real. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Especially since you like got the feels when you were there. Like the fact that you have a connection, Mm -hmm. I like fully believe in city connections and location connections, you know. Mm -hmm. Like I feel that with New York.
0: I moved to L.A. when I was 19 years old, and I never, ever, one day, ever looked back and thought, shit, maybe I shouldn't have done that. I knew in my gut that I had a connection to L.A., that I needed to go, that was where I needed to be, and I just never had a doubt in my mind. And so I think you should always listen to your instincts. You know, sometimes we want to play that game and be like, well, da-da-da, and the pros and the cons. It's like your instinct is the most important, valuable thing, intuitive, like intuitiveness that you can have, and the most important relationship you can have with yourself is your instinct. So trust it. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I do know for a fact, like, regardless of what happens, I'm moving come spring. So I'm like, I cannot be here any longer. Like, I really feel like, oh my God, like I should be doing something right now. Because like, while I'm home, although it's like comfortable, and obviously I have all my friends and family I grew up here, I also feel like I'm not progressing in any way professionally or like even personally. Like I have like my connections and I'm not like gaining any more connections while being here. Like I just have what I've always had. So I definitely, now I'm getting in that headset I'm like, oh my God, like, what am I doing? Like, I'm literally spending months here and I'm accomplishing
3: nothing. Mm-hmm. I will say you can do and create wherever you are in the world, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, that is yeah. not limited to to space and, and city. Oh, absolutely. Like as, as a creator, as an artist, right? Like you should be doing stuff all the time if it feels right, wherever you are. Yeah,
4: no, for sure. And I, I move, have been trying to do that, but...
3: Wherever you mm-hmm. move there you are. Like you are going, you are going to still be there. So find those things in your own body and space first and bring them with you wherever you go.
4: Yeah. I mean, it definitely has helped. Cause I think like you always talk to your family, it's like, yeah, don't go too far. And then, but like, it's nice to like talk to, you know, other people that like, I guess, but... Planes um, are only getting faster.
0: Planes are only getting faster, and also your relationship with your family improves once you get the fuck away from them. Everybody gets closer (laughs) when there's some distance. I have a very tight-knit family, and that works because I left. (laughs) And we are very strong. We spend all of our holidays together. We spend our summers together. We are inseparable because, you know, distance doesn't doesn't create more space in that sense. You know what I mean? That's a physical thing, you know, so that can even strengthen the bonds with your family being away from them.
4: Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with that. Like, I think I definitely got a lot closer to like my brother, for example, when I went moved to Vancouver, like when we were living in the same house, you know, growing up with brothers, how that is. Since moving to Vancouver, and now that I'm back, it's kind of like still been the same. But yeah, when I moved away, so we actually got like, pretty be able to talk and actually have a conversation. So I definitely believe in that and totally agree with that. So I guess it's not so much like about that, the connection of things. It's more so just like, I think it's also the FOMO, you know, like, oh my god, I'm going to miss out on something or what happens if I can't get this time off work and I can't go home to that event or whatever.
3: But uh, think about what you're I missing mean, in London. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's yeah, what I, I was exactly. going Yeah, it, Reagan. it sounds like you already made up your mind anyway. You just need a b- swift kick in the ass, and that's Let's what jump, we're here
3: yeah, for. Jump in. London town. Off you yeah, go. no, for sure.
0: <laughs> Keep us posted as to what you do and when you do it, okay? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we oh, love, sure we love updates.
2: I'm excited for you. <laughs> yes. I love when people make big moves. I think that it opens up so many doors and pushes you into new places. I think it's such an incredible growth experience, so I'm very, very excited for you. Mm
1: -hmm. Also, uh, maybe try telling people that you're moving to London even if you don't have a timeline mm. see how it feels and as yeah. you start to hear people be like oh you're moving to London oh my gosh you'll feel whether it feels like right or wrong and we mm-hmm. will start to get very excited. but you also. have to
3: start saying it in an English accent when you start telling people
4: <laughs> yeah, can you do that the lingo. Yeah. yeah I mean every time I do like you know sometimes like you just joke around and you talk like in an accent and everyone's like you need to stop right now you're so bad at that
3: Okay.
4: <laughs> <Fine>. <laughs> I have told some people like I have been like, yeah, no, I'm planning on moving to London. Right. And everyone's always like, oh, that's so cool. So I mean, I have kind of done that as well. But I, and I definitely right. think that did help. Because like, when you solidify it in your mind, or at least like solidifying it in the sake of this person believes I'm going there, which means like, I'm already one step closer to actually going because like people think I am, mm-hmm. you know?
3: Mm-hmm. So yep. I
4: definitely, I definitely believe in that. I definitely agree with that for sure.
0: Well, thank you for calling okay. in and good luck with everything. And yeah, get that move going. Put good. it into motion. Yeah.
4: Well, thank you so much. And yeah, no, absolutely. I will keep you posted. I'll let you know. I'll get I'll to get the date when I'm peacing out.
0: All right,
1: do that. Nice Love. meeting Yay. you, Brandon.
4: Brandon so you advice. <laughs>
1: Bye. Bye. Thanks, Brandon.
4: Thank you. Oh, Bye. The the that's okay. beauty, a name, right? I just what what realized I forgot right? my
1: antipsychotics.
0: I've got to take this in. before the next color. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to lose my shit,
3: you guys. Mm. With a name like Cantaloupe, does it, I, mean, Braden, I mean Brandon? Brandon, yeah. you got Cantaloupe. We're good. Yeah,
0: he was burying the lead. He should just go as Cantaloupe. Yeah, holy
3: right. Cantaloupe! He's got to move to London and right? change his name to Cantaloupe.
0: <laughs>
1: well, our next question comes from R.H. Are restoration
3: eight, 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 hardware <laughs> uh, the outlet yeah. in pyramids <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes they say dear chelsea i'm 35 years old and the youngest of four my siblings all have kids of their own and i'm the only one without them my husband and i have been together for 10 years and can't seem to fully commit to deciding to try to have our own kids or not when i'm with my family i sometimes feel not as included or seen I know that's not enough of a reason to have kids, but we're struggling deciding if having kids is for us or not. How did you decide what you wanted and what tips do you have for me? RH.
0: Well, I would say that if you are on the fence about having children, the answer is probably not to have children. Mm. I think if you want to have children, mm. it's something that you are really you should be really sure about. You know, you're bringing that's a huge responsibility you're bringing a whole other person into this world and you should be 150% sure. You shouldn't be mm, vacillating back and forth and you certainly obviously should not do that for anyone else's feelings about your relationship or your merit within your family. I would argue that that's a you thing and that you you should try and work hard to get past that about your family not taking you guys seriously because you don't have children. I think that's something that you kind of have to own and you know, and be vociferous about. You know, like once you make your decision about whether or not to have children, if it's not to move forward, you the reasons will be solid for not doing that. You know what I mean? You can't be shamed or, you know, felt left out as the reason behind having a child. That's not something that to hang your hat on either. You guys are trying right now for a child. So you can yeah. speak to this.
2: We've I mean, I've always wanted to be a parent. We've always wanted to have kids. I'm also thirty five and the youngest of four. And I have a uh, 13 nieces and nephews, so I totally get the idea of, like, having more merit. I mean, I definitely gained more merit in my family when I got married. Mm-hmm. That was, like, a game changer. To, became... a, to
3: a man, specifically. <laughs> yeah.
2: They we're so happy I didn't end up with them. No, I, lo- I love them. I love them. They we're, we're so much better than we've ever been. Totally. But I do really understand that feeling, and I will say that I imagine you being the person who has a uterus being 35— you're probably feeling a lot of that society pressure. That's like, if you're going to do it, you have to do it now. I know that as we've been struggling with getting pregnant for the last year, that is like this constant piece that's on my mind, even though I know 35 is not that old, but like, if you look online, it's a fucking geriatric pregnancy. Like it is language. -hmm. language, Like it's so (laughs) wild the way that you're made to feel at this time. And like making a decision because you feel pressured, just like Chelsea said, is not the way you want to go. But if you wanted some more security, you know, maybe freezing eggs or freezing embryos or doing something along those lines could help you feel more secure in the idea that you personally know you need to wait, but you don't always know if you're going to need to wait. And maybe something like that, whether or not you ever use them, could feel like you're buying
0: yourself a little more time. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's, I mean, you know, if you're willing to go through that process, then, it's, then, yes. then that's a definite great option for you.
2: But it definitely is a process. It's not a process that I've been through. And now, you know, we're we're doing IUIs now, which is like the step before IVF. I'm terrified to have to even think about doing IVF.
3: Egg retrievals How, uh, at all? Yeah.
2: Right. Egg retrieval, the hormones. Like, I've never even taken birth control. Like, I hate this shit. You know. But there is a world where, like, having these embryos saved could set us up for multiple children in the future. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like a game you have to play. But I think it's definitely worth having the conversation and kind of sussing out options if if that, you know, feels right for you, which it may not.
3: But. Right. I have a question for Chelsea, <laughs> actually. <laughs> On, On, this yeah. On this subject On this subject, yeah. Okay, perfect. Do you ever feel like? I know that you're in love currently, that potentially your future could be different than the one that it is now with, with kids.
0: No, I'm very steadfast about, I mean, I told him the other day I was pregnant just to see what his reaction was. <laughs> and he was just looking <laughs> oh, at God. me like, cause Joe's the type of guy that would be open to whatever. Right. He, if I said that, yeah, I'm down. He'd be down. I'm not down though. And I know I'm not down because it's just like a fanciful idea. You mm. know what I mean? It's only because I love him that I would even think of it. Mm. But I'm not down for it. I'm not down for raising a child. I'm not down for having to put a person in the world and be responsible for them. I I mean, as a childless person, I would also say to you as somebody who has siblings, I get to be the best aunt yeah. that I could ever be mostly because I don't have children, you know, I get to shower attention onto a families that I'll never even meet. I get to give money to people in need all the time because it's not being used up for my own purposes and my own family. So there are real upsides to making that decision, Mm. you know, if that's where Mm. you go. And also I'm very present in all of my nieces and nephews life. And I take a lot of pride in being like that aunt that is going to be there, that is going to provide for them, that is going to have those conversations with them that are, they're not going to have with their parents. And so there are a lot of upsides to having that role in your family as well. And I've never in my family and not felt like I was part of my family because I'm kind of like the center of attention of my family <laughs> and I force us all to be together all the time you know I'm the ringleader so I don't have you know that same thing where I feel oh my brothers and sisters have kids I feel left out I but I would argue that is a state of mind you know it's a state of your own being you know because you do still have plenty to offer children don't define you you know you define you yeah. right So anyway, Mm. that's our advice. I mean, I think that's full-bodied. We've got a couple different perspectives here, a few, I should say. So let us know how that goes. Thank you for writing in. And yeah, if you're thinking about possibly getting some eggs fertilized and going down that route, that's a great avenue, too, until you make a real decision, until you're really solid on one side or the other of the issue.
3: Check your insurance first before you do that, though. <laughs> Chelsea, let's talk about this. Oh, yeah. SAG-AFTRA does not cover infertility. Oh. What are your fucking thoughts what on that? What a
0: surprise. What a surprise. I
3: mean, I'm ready for a lawsuit. Well, though. I mean,
0: and that's going to have to change in the near future. But it's every insane. system is antiquated. Every health system is antiquated. I mean, women, are, you know what I mean? Healthcare for women. I mean, look where we are in this country. It's its not surprising, unfortunately. It's just everything. Everything needs a major fucking update, and people need to get with the program. But instead, we're sitting here having to fight abortion rights that, you know, from 50 years ago, instead of being able to tackle real issues like what you're describing, you know, ironically, Republicans want to force women to have children, but they won't do anything about infertility. They won't do anything about women that want to have that children want that to can't. Have kids. Uh-huh. So there yeah. you go. The irony and the hypocrisy mm-hmm. at play every single day in this country, everywhere. And yeah. on that note, We're all going to commit suicide. (laughs) (laughs) This has turned into a Christmas
2: suicide podcast. (laughs) Just just crying in the corner. Excuse me.
1: (laughs) Well, while you're all doing that, we'll take a quick ad break and be right back.
0: Cool.
1: Okay, and we're back. Nico and Bethany, do you have a piece of advice that you'd like from Chelsea?
2: I have a piece of advice because, I mean, I've watched you over the years in many different phases of your career and what i've always loved about you is that it seems to me anyway like you don't give a fuck and i kind of mentioned this earlier and i think giving a fuck is something that often gets in my way kind of a simple question but any advice for like tossing off the other voices
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's something that you put into practice and it gets easier and easier as you go on, you know, not giving a fuck is like an actual practice. It's like meditation. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're doing the work on yourself and you're constantly paying attention and you have your self-awareness in check, it makes it a lot easier to not give a fuck. Mm -hmm. Before it was like it was more flagrant for me when I was younger. I didn't give a fuck because I was arrogant. Now I don't give a fuck because I know I've done the work and I'm solid. Like I'm not worried about any of my behavior or, you know, offending people in in small situations. I'm not worried about not making small talk with somebody and that hurting their feelings. I don't have any of that anymore because I understand It's not my job to make everyone feel good. It's not my job to make everyone feel comfortable. And if people really have a problem with me, then they have a bigger problem with themselves. Mm -hmm. And that really is all you have to remember. Like, if anyone is sitting there on Instagram commenting on your page about how much they dislike you, think about what's going on in that (laughs) person's life. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Never in my entire existence have I ever commented Seriously, like my male comic <laughs> friends, I will yeah. fuck with them and be <laughs> like Kevin Hart's page and be like, you know, nobody thinks you're a good actor, but that's because we're good friends. And I take it back because his latest movie or series, True Story, he Killed did do it. some good acting. Come so, on, Kevin. and I wrote that on his Instagram page too. But as attacky as I've been in my life or as, you know, giving people unsolicited advice and going off on people who I thought were fucking idiots, I would never spend my time tearing somebody down in that way. Mm. So, That's all you need to know. You know, anybody who has a strong opinion of you that's negative is really none of your business. I think,
2: you know, logically, that's a train of thought. So I am in the practicing phase. It's better than it used to be. I've also, like, taken some tangible steps to maybe, like, not read every single DM. Like, I don't need to read these DMs that are coming in. Maybe I don't need notifications on my phone. Or, like, maybe there's some places where I can kind of tune out. And I think, like, logically, I know, but there's definitely an emotional part of me. I'm also, like, a teacher and a trainer, and I work with people's bodies. So, like, caring about how other people feel is, like, built in to who I am. And I think there's, like, a place where, like, how do I still find ways to be compassionate and have this part of me that is, like, vulnerable and sweet and that I love and also, like, put up the walls to protect myself at the same time. And I think that's a balance.
0: Well, even on your Instagram page, it's called the become project, even on your Instagram, on that page itself, right? You, you have to look at what you're representing on that page and embody it, right? You're helping people to be in touch with their feelings about themselves, not to be in touch with their feelings about you. Right? So when you need sometimes to remind yourself of who you are, I do this a lot. I'm like, if I go down, an insecure, wrote or I think about something somebody wrote or said about me, it only takes me a minute to remind myself of who I am and what I stand for. And for you, I would say to go to your page and look at what you've created and look at what you stand for and look at what you're trying to extol, right? And that's your reminder of who you are. Right, right. Yeah. And getting
2: Mm. back into that center.
0: Yeah. We all just need to remind ourselves who we are. You know, none of us are good or bad or, you know, we do bad things or we do good things. And And once your ship is steady and you're moving along and you're conscious and aware of the world around you, your purpose and your gift is to make other people feel that way. Right? So you've always got to kind of remind yourself that, hey, uh, this is me, this is what I represent, and this is all I have to worry about. Yeah.
3: You know? And you're always becoming, right? It's not called the Cum Project. It's like still. That's a separate project that I'm working on. That's
0: my project. That's going to be released this summer. (laughs) The Cum
1: Project. It's
0: it's actually called the Cum Dumpster. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. And don't try to get that. I have CumDumpster.com taken. Joe bought it for me for Christmas. So don't even.
3: Sweet. That's how you got pregnant, right? Yes.
0: The third time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh good good stuff
0: thank you guys so much for coming what a delight the two thank of you, you. Are. this so is so happy awesome. to meet you yeah that was fun i can't wait to hear that you're pregnant and you guys are expecting a baby Yes, it's gonna happen thank yeah you. absolutely so yeah. yeah and good luck with everything thank, thank you, you so much yeah this is wonderful. nice to meet you guys I appreciate you having us thank you Catherine, Thanks, and thank Catherine. you guys for listening yeah. we will see you or you will hear us and possibly see us next week Chelsea, do you have some upcoming show dates that you want to tell people about? Oh my God, always. February 2nd and 3rd are my Seattle shows. Oh, also, we added Philly. So come to Philly or Honolulu or Kauai or no, Maui. Shit, who knows? So we have added second shows to a lot of markets, but those are the immediate dates coming up. Anyway, does that answer your question, (laughs) Catherine? It absolutely does. Great. Well, that's all we have for today's episode. Okay. Well, that was a definite therapy session. We will see you next week, guys. All right, bye. Bye. And
1: if you have a question or you and a loved one have a question, please write into Dear Chelsea Project at gmail.com.